Well, let's get right into his word. I have a word here for you today from the Lord, and this will be part two of what I began to speak on last week. I've been preaching on the Holy Spirit for several weeks, and then last week I kind of transitioned to this topic of the new covenant. Everybody say, the new covenant. Let's just say it again, the new covenant. What does that mean? That means there was a old covenant, right? So there's a new one to replace the old one. And the Bible says in prophecy, speaking of this new covenant coming in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, it said, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. And we preached on this last week. I looked at last week how we were never meant to be uh, casual Christians. There is no such thing, really. If you really even study your word out and not just Christian theology or listen to teachings or listen to church uh, doctrines, if you just read your word... uh, There isn't even the word Christian in there. I'm not saying we're not Christians, but everything that goes along with it, right? Who has an idea, right? You tell someone you're a Christian, they already have summed you up, right? Just like if someone says, you know, I'm a jock, right? I'm a sports guy. You can kind of already figure out who the person is. And there's these stigmas and ideas that got put on us by being quote-unquote Christian. And it usually, uh, unfortunately, in our world today, because of Satan is attached to many things that are negative. But if you look at your word, you study your word, you really read what Jesus said, and then what the disciples said, they talked about being devoted, being followers of Christ, being committed, even facing death, uh, possibly, or even likely to some of the churches. And so there was no such thing as the casual, hidden, secret, closet Christian but there was only the believer who truly and completely and totally trusted in the Lord. And this is what God was fulfilling. He put the Holy Spirit within us, and then ultimately, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciples and the writers, they penned down the Word, they put it together, and we have the written Word today. We have the Word uh, from the Lord in the book But we also have the Holy Spirit who's bringing those scriptures up, right? Who has him do that all the time. I don't even need to read it for him to bring it up to me. We're really reading it to shove it in there because your mind is so filled with other junk, but your spirit already knows right and wrong the moment you say yes to Christ. And all the word is doing is just making it clear. Oh, yes, this is what I've always known anyway. I used to rebel against it, but now the word's making it clear. And so he did these amazing things in the new covenant. But he did something even deeper, which could easily be missed, which is that I will be their God and they will be my people. It seems like that's just an ending statement to this, this idea, this thing that he was doing uh, in us, but really this was the whole point. Everybody say, he wants to be God. And we as the people of the earth should want him to be our God. He wants a 
relationship. And this is really, even though I preached on the Holy Spirit and now I'm preaching on the New Covenant, I feel like for the last five or six weeks, the Lord is saying the same exact thing, which is I want to have a relationship with you. Now, we are in this church uh, as mature believers, so for us listening to this, it's really the Lord reminding us. That's one point. And two, though, is encouraging us who already have a relationship with him to go deeper. Everybody say, I want to go deeper. I've mentioned this before, but imagine a spouse, imagine a friend, imagine somebody in your circle, your friend or family that says, the relationship I have with you is enough. I don't want any more. We've hit our peak, and this is about all I want from you. Now imagine you told somebody that. Now, maybe, you, maybe that's what you think inside your head. This is about the relationship I want. I don't really want any more. But you would never say that, right? But the Lord, who knows all, he knows your heart, and you don't need to say that to God. That would be incredibly offensive to your friend, your family, your spouse, wouldn't it? But when we are telling God, well, I've already spent some time with you. I don't really have more time. You know, I already went to church this week. I already did my Bible study. I already sang a worship song. What we're telling God is, I've had my fix, I've had my fill, and I've had about enough. And we don't need to say that in words, but God knows the lines between the lines, doesn't he? He knows the heart behind us. So something special, though, happened that Jesus did on the cross through his blood, this just incredible moment in time. It was not just to bring us into heaven. It was, just not, it was not only so that you do not go to hell, but so God could be God for us in the earth. We have all of eternity for him to be God and for us to be his people. And yes, ultimately, this will be fulfilled in the fullness in eternity. But our word is clear. Otherwise, we would just get saved and then die and go straight to heaven. But we are all still here for hopefully, you know, 20, 40, 60, 80 years more, depending on when you got saved, right, to still live in the earth. And that is not just for God to bless us, although it's a portion of what I'm going to show us that God does do. He is God. He's a good God. He's a good father. But it is to be his people. And what does that mean? What does it truly mean for him to be God and for us to be uh, his people? And I want to make some statements here. We must be totally and utterly dependent upon God. I want you to say that out loud. I must be totally and utterly dependent upon God. We must focus on him. He provides life, peace, protection, and all our needs will be met. What happened when the people in Egypt were led out into the wilderness by God? Well, the Bible says that Moses told Pharaoh, we need to go and worship God. That's it. That's all that God said. You tell Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go so they can come and worship me. Do you think that God was going to break them out of Egypt, the most superior military and technological power of the world of that era and these people were a vital asset to that nation do you think he was breaking them out so they could go into the wilderness and sing a worship song do you think that's what he meant by i want them to come and worship me 
They're going to break free so they can worship me. Worship was much greater than singing a song. It was, I want to be their God. They're going to be my people. Do you know that your life, when it's living in righteousness, when it's reflecting, when you are doing what God's asked you to do, and when you're just being obedient, it might not even look that holy, doesn't even look that righteous, because it's not religious, remember. But you know what's happening? You are actually worshiping God with your life. And you know that God is much more pleased with a life that's worshiping him than a song, right? There's many songs written about the songs, right? I'll give you more than a song. Forgive me, Lord, that I became a song. And the Lord is calling us into a place where our life is worship, not just the song. Amen. And so a little ways into their journey, what happens? I mean, you blink your eye and they're already worshiping, but it's not God it's a golden calf. And you just look at these, these characters and you read these stories and you think, how could you possibly be worshiping a golden calf already? You just saw God do all these incredible miracles for you and now you're gathering together your earrings and jewelry that God actually, one of the prophecies was you will strip Egypt of their wealth. You remember these were poor people. These were literally slaves. Where did they get all the gold from? To, to, so literally, they took the blessings of God. Wow. When you start, to, I mean, I could really get into this, and I'm not going to. I got more things to preach about today. But they took the blessings of God and used them to create their own idols. God has blessed his people. He's blessed us in this church so, so just incredibly. He's blessed the church of the world today so incredibly. He's given us so many blessings, and let's learn a lesson. I'm not even going to hang here. I'm going to keep going, but let's just take a quick moment, inventory maybe of our heart, and just listen to this, that when God blesses us, it is so easy. Do not judge them, because it's so easy because to just take his blessings and just make something of our own heart, Right? I mean, all everybody says, thank God for this. Thank God for that. Oh, thank God the weather's great today. I'm like, oh, thank God? Did you really mean God, or are you just saying a statement? I'm just saying he becomes, it just becomes so easy. You know, God just becomes like, you know, anything we want, right? And then like, you know, sports players, oh, thank God. I just want to thank God for this win. Some of them are true believers. I've seen some of them. And others, it's just something to say. It's very easy to, and very quickly, we can become uh, <laughs> building golden calves. I don't understand it, yet we're all human like the rest of them. We'll leave this service, and we get in our car, and we start driving home, and already, you know, the things of the week and, the, and our things in our heart, they just start flooding back in, don't they? But what happens? God reveals his glory on the mountain with Moses. And he gives them instructions on how to live, including the most famous of those instructions, the Ten Commandments. But before we can even turn the page in the Bible again, what's happening? They're rebelling. A whole generation actually doesn't get to go in to the promised land. So finally, just fast forward, Jesus comes on the scene and he breaks the curse of sin and death. That's a longer-term curse than the one that we're just dealing with here with Moses. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. 
but he also breaks the curse that was coming in, had already come in in this time of Moses with uh, what becomes so easy, just going through the motions and becoming religious and missing the God of the miracle. In fact, we're going to look at Jesus today that you could ask God for a miracle and forget that it's God that you're talking to. We can get so obsessed believing uh, for a thing that we forget that we're actually talking to a person. Wow, who can relate? I'm not saying that he's judging us. I'm just saying that that's our human heart. It's so easy. We get so overwhelmed by the situation or the things, and we forget that the whole point is to know him and actually be speaking to him and trust him and know him. So Jesus comes, and he does something amazing. He actually changes for all time. He takes this instruction, as we've just looked. He writes it on our hearts, and he does something else, though. Jesus doesn't just say, here, here's the law, do what I say. It didn't work, because what happens, this is, I, I can't believe this, but last week I told you that religion is about loopholes, and totally random. Elijah, I don't even know, I don't know how much he hears me say up here. He's my son, so you know, you, you think he's listening, but also he's also my son, so maybe some of my mouth is just white noise, I don't know. Well, anyway, the very next day, he's telling me about this Jewish comedian. And I can't believe it, but the guy says, we Jews, we love loopholes. And this whole comedy sketch was how the goys, that's us as Gentiles, you know, we get to do whatever we want. They're stuck in restriction. So on the Sabbath, they can't use electricity and air conditioning. So what they do is they say they can't ask you to come into your air conditioned house, but they can make statements like, man, it's so hot today. And the point was that here's this guy talking about all these loopholes that we do. He said, they said, all oh, the women have to wear a head covering. So they shaved their heads and they put on wigs of hair. I'm not making fun of Jews. I'm just saying you see what happens when we get trapped in a cycle of religion. They have to cover their head, so they cover it with what looks like underneath. And so we look at these guys and go, how could you guys make a golden calf? How did you, can you get so far? But we as people, doesn't matter what your background is, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, that doesn't matter as hum humanity, what happens is, is we, in human nature, are going to try, we develop systems and patterns and loopholes. We can very easily get going through the motions without realizing we got into motions, and right, we just, this is what we do on Sunday, we sing a song, we clap our hands sometimes, raise our hands, you know, and then we just go on with our week, and then it's next Sunday again, and so on, or whatever the routine is. Maybe there's some midweek routines in there, but we can get into the routine, and we forget that it's all about knowing him. Wow. I couldn't believe that. If that's not the Lord. I mean, he just came home and said it to me like it's something I've never heard before, and it was the next day. It was like Monday or Tuesday. So the Lord did something very special. He left not just the law now, but he led 
by example. Jesus said, I'm going to imprint it on your heart, then I'm going to go another step. I'm actually going to live it out so you can see an example. And then I'm going to do another step that they didn't have before. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in your heart who's going to take that law and it's not going to be religious, but suddenly you're going to know in your mind and heart and body this connection between all these fuses going on inside here. Hey, don't do that. And your mind goes, wait, there's a verse about this. Who's had this happen? Who has a verse just come out of nowhere in a moment that you really need it? And you don't want to hear it sometimes, but it is the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I help you in your weaknesses, Romans 8, right? I've just prayed it during prayer. He said, I'm going to yoke with you. I'm going to take your burdens. I mean, the Lord's like, I'm going to give you the best package deal that you could imagine. It's not just some rules and laws that you have to follow, but I am going to do everything and anything that I possibly can. If there was any more, our word says it. Our, this is not my opinion. Our Bible literally says if there was any more that he could do, he would have done it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing that into 2022 language, but that's what he says. We can look at Peter. I don't have time, but Peter says, Every single thing we need, he has given us. Every excuse that we could have had, we don't have anymore because Jesus has done it all. He is not only a ticket to heaven, but he is a living, he is the living word. He is right here with us, walking us through every single step of our day. And that's amazing. You know that God wants to be personal with you. Sometimes I think, man, this doesn't matter to God, but it does. You know, the littlest things, the stupid things in our, in our minds, the things that just seem like, ah, this is not that important, you know? We've got like war going on in the world, and God, we need to keep praying for these things, right? We still have this virus, look, China's back in lockdown. We've got some major things going on in the world, but don't think just because that those aren't big issues that we need to pray for and believe for and that God is seeing and... But don't think he doesn't care about your, what could seem like small and insignificant and, and even foolish in your mind to God. But it's not true. He actually is a very near, he's a very present help. He is close to us. He is so close that he said, I'm going to live inside you. There's no closer that he could get except to live within you. And he gave us access directly to God. Not only available to us, but the Bible is compelling us that it's where we need to live in his presence. And even Jesus, this is how he lived. Jesus lived, and he lived the example. He showed us how to do it, and then he helps us to do it. Even Jesus, he is pulling away. He goes into this presence of God. He goes into these, whole, these, these like deep places with God, right? Withdrew, as Jim has pointed out, right? Jesus didn't actually leave by himself. He always went withdrew, right? Because Jesus withdrew, went up to the mountain, right? So Jesus is pulling away. He's going into the mountain. He's going into this place with God. He's getting into this deep place with God, even being Jesus. 
And then he comes down. The Bible says he doesn't do or say anything, not led by God, but he comes down from those places and then does, then goes, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see even Jesus, the Son of God, knew that in order to do what God asked him to do, in order to go, in order, like he's told us, do and go, right? He's told all of us. In order to do that, even Jesus knew that it's about the relationship with the Father, that anything I do or go and, and say or do after this, it must come from this place, this relationship with him. Even Jesus knew that that was what was going to be most important for what was next. And the temptation is to become independent. We are very independent people, aren't we? We are very self-reliant. Even, I thought this was interesting. I felt like it came from the Holy Spirit. We can even get into a rut, you ready for this? For depending on dependable things. I'm going to say that again. It's a bit of a tongue twister. We get into a rut of even depending on dependable things. What do I mean by this? Well, like wisdom. God gives wisdom, doesn't he? But you know, you could get into a rut of just leaning upon wisdom and not actually asking the Lord, taking the wisdom he has given you, but filtering it through the Holy Spirit. Okay, you've given me, I'm just, you know, I know the rights and wrongs of, of, of this situation, but the Lord might say something specific right now that's going to kind of shake you. could just be easy be like, well, I don't want to deal with this person. Wisdom would say to stay away from this person right now, but the Holy Spirit says that might sound like good wisdom and, and the natural that's good, but I want you to do the opposite, and I want you to speak to that person, and I want you to pray for them and bless them and love them. Do you get what I'm saying? So we could, there's many ruts, that's just one example, but we can get into this rut of being self-reliant and independent, even God-given things, without actually realizing it's God who gave them. And that's exactly what happened. They get into the wilderness, what happened? It just I look and I'm wondering, and it's the same story for me, me, not you guys, me standing here today, and the Lord I'm talking to myself, what happened? How do you get in these ruts? How do we get so far so fast? We're like so cold, so far from him. How does it happen? It's because we are self-reliant and we are independent. And even the word and worship, even being a preacher, it can become, it could become a motion so fast. It could become just a wheel that turns on its own. And the thing that we need to do is stop and realize, I'm in this thing. I don't even, Lord, I just, I need to just worship you. I want to just love you. I want to spend some time with you. What are we doing? What's this whole point? What's this thing for? What, what's my life about? You know, we, we're trying to fix a situation, and then we, sometimes we just need to stop. Stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to even pray for the thing, and go just spend time with him, and then maybe you'll have the right heart to live through the thing or pray a better prayer for the thing. Amen. Wow. And the problem is this. I just experienced this this week. It doesn't really matter. Just like simple things in my life. But the moment you put your guard down, the enemy is there to swoop in for the kill. I had this. I experienced it in, in not any, you know, sin ways. Okay. Don't anybody like, what do you mean? How do you experience it this week? And very simple. The Lord gave me some very childlike examples this week. But I saw how 
you put your guard down, and immediately, the moment that you think you're okay, the moment you put your guard down, everything's good, that's it. And I don't want to, uh, today's not about the enemy. It's not about what he's doing, but let's not be caught unaware, the Bible says, because our enemy works with our flesh, our human nature, and it will, he wants to get you into an autopilot way of living. The devil wants you, if he can't get you to be an outright, demonic, you know, dark, deep sin, like he does some. You know, he does get some to sin really deep, dark stuff, doesn't he? But if he can't get you there, his next best thing is just get you an autopilot. That's exactly what he did. Get you through into the motions, the grinds of life, and forget about God. And, you know, the religious of Jesus' time on the earth had become self-reliant instead of reliant on God. They became so reliant on their systems and on their religion, here's the God of the religion, and they miss him. We say, how could that happen? That would never happen to me. But we need to be so careful that we don't get so involved in the patterns of religion, even a religious-less religion. You, you know, you can become religious about not being religious. I've seen it. I was at a church one time, and they were trying to not be religious, so they wore shorts and sandals and T-shirts on purpose, and that's fine. I'm not saying, God doesn't care about the clothes, not the point. But to, in an effort to not be religious, they actually had a new religion of having no religion. It's just what happens. And that kind of nonchalant idea, I know what they were trying to do, it actually carried into the spiritual elements too. They did something physical to try to create this atmosphere, but it actually became a spiritual feeling that you would sense in this place. I'm not, that's why I'm not naming them, so you don't, I'm not judging them because you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. But what I sensed there was that same t-shirt and sandals feeling in spiritual principles. And you actually saw the result of that in the fruit. That's the children, so to speak, that they would produce. So we must realize that the self-righteousness and the pride, it comes in sneaky. It comes in just by thinking we've already got it figured out. I already know we were unteachable, not even in some sort of like super pride way, but they're quizzing Jesus on things. He's telling them truth, and they're like, well, who are you? you know, and, and how do you think you know better than me? I already know. And you see how... We can even read the word like that. We can read it like, well, I've read this story so many times. In fact, this preacher's preached this sermon so many times. Whatever, right? And you know what ends up happening is we don't even realize we're not even listening anymore. Wow. But Jesus taught us to be dependent. And if you go back to Egypt on their way to the promised land, you know what God was teaching them? God was teaching them to be dependent. I'm going to speak, well, your stomach is probably getting a little hungry, being around that lunchtime hour. I'm going to speak about some bread for the next little while. Who wants to hear about some food? I have a few verses about food today, and I thought that was funny. I said, wow, Lord, you're going to have me teach about food at lunchtime. But the Bible tells us clearly there's actually no confusion. There's actually no reading between the lines. We don't need to like have this big spiritual insight. It says it clear as day that the reason God gave them manna 
was why? So that they had to depend on him. There are many verses that tell us that clearly. It was to test them. God tested them. Was he testing them in some sort of a sadistic way? Of course not. He wasn't getting pleasure at them squirming and having to be hungry. He just said, will you just, do, will you just relax? I'm going to take care of it. Would you actually just get to the place where you rest instead of restless? Would you just rest in me and I will feed you? And the Bible says that if they gathered too much, it rotted. And the point was that he wanted them to come, need to come to him every single day. This is, a, this is something today, you know, 4,000 years later from this moment here in Egypt, Jesus 2,000 years after that, and now we're 2,000 years beyond that, it's the same thing that God is looking for today, that he was looking for them in Egypt, that Jesus is looking for in us, and is that I want you to be dependent upon me, and even when they were waiting to go into the promised land. Now, finally, finally, after this long journey, they're about to go into the promised land, and Actually, the Lord warns them. Do you remember? I'm going to read it because I thought this was really neat uh, to hear uh, God speak directly to us, just like he did to them. He said in Leviticus chapter 26, he said, verse 3, If you follow my decrees and, and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you the seasonal rains. And the land will yield its crops, and the trees of the field produce their fruit. And then he says, verse 5, you'll eat your fill and live securely. Verse 6, I'll give you peace. I'll keep your enemies out. Verse 10, you'll have a surplus of crops, and, and you'll need to clear out the grain just to make room for new grain. Verse 11, I will live among you. And verse 12, I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Now, when Jeremiah is prophesying about the new covenant, that was now a thousand years after this. Because even though God said he would do it, he also gave a warning, which they did not heed. Verse 14, however, everybody say however. You don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear God. Say a whole bunch of stuff to you and then say however. You know, I think prophecies that people have gotten in, in their life should come with a however. Who thinks that there should be a however? Everybody goes, oh, God didn't do that. That prophet was off. He said all these things. I lived like hell, but God failed me. Wow, it got really quiet. When God speaks, there is a however. Do you know that even Christ, see, people think that just because his blood is unconditional, that our lives don't come with conditions. His love is unconditional. But the things that your life will bring, the things that you're going to reap, the things you're going to get in your life, the experiences you're about to go into, they are filled with conditions. Who has found, who has lived it out that when you applied yourself to the Lord, you sought the Lord, in some ways it actually got harder because now the devil is fighting you and your flesh is fighting you. But who has pushed through it and into the promise in many areas in your life, right? 
who has also ignored the call of the Lord and experienced hell, right, for longer than you needed to. Okay. And so the point is that we do even, you can't read Leviticus and be like, well, that's Old Testament. You know, that's the Old Covenant. Yes, there is a New Covenant. It's better. It's much better because the blood of animals was replaced with the blood of the only Son of God. Of course it's better. But don't think just because we have the New Covenant that nothing is required of us. When I give myself fully to Him, I'm going to reap the benefits in maybe not the exact legal way in Leviticus, but in a similar spiritual way. Does that make sense? If God were to bless you when you mock him and curse him and don't do anything to apply yourself to what he's given you, if he were to bless you in those times, you would A, be confused, or B, just not even actually think about it, not even care to be confused, because you don't have time to even think about it, because all you're doing is living in his blessings. So, of course, there's going to be some repercussions and some things that are going to happen in your life. Now, I want to say this very carefully, this with a disclosure. Every single bad thing is not God being mad at you and dealing with you. Now, I need to be very clear. The moment someone has a bad thing, they go, oh, what'd you do wrong? You stopped tithing. You must have cursed someone. You forgot to forgive them and so on. I don't want it. Let's just not get weird. What I'm trying to say is, we live in a fallen world. You're going to have stuff going on around you. You're going to have things happen to you. We just need to keep our eyes on him and our focus on him. If we do that, you ready for this? It's a good day. I love the Lord. He's with me. He's blessed me. It's a bad day. Well, let's quote Paul. I've lived to abound, and I've lived to be abased. I've had everything, and I've had nothing. I'm still blessing him and praising him, and it pushes through. And now I find myself back on another mountaintop. I went through the valley with him. Amen. What you don't want to do is get into a valley by your own doing, allowing the devil, and then you go, wow, what's happening? Must have missed this. You get into confusion, or, or we just push God off, and now we get stuck there in that place. And that's what happened to these guys. It's what can happen so easily to us. We can get stuck there. We can not listen. Let's just keep trusting him, believing him. That's the simplicity of what I'm trying to say here. But he says, however, if you do not listen to me or obey all these commands, and if you break my covenant, verse 15, you reject my decrees, you treat them with contempt, and you refuse to obey, I will punish you. Oh, God wouldn't do that. God doesn't punish. God doesn't judge. God doesn't do anything bad ever. He says, verse 20, all your work will be for nothing and your land will yield no crops, and your trees will bear no fruit. Wow. The new covenant is not only that we have Jesus' superior blood that covers our sins, but the new covenant was to be what God always wanted. It was for God to be God and for us to be his people. Jesus is literally called Emmanuel, we're about to celebrate next month, Christmas, this whole thing, what it's all about, which literally is the final fulfillment. Well, let's call it the 99.9% because .9 we're not in the new heaven and new earth yet. But God with 
us. That's literally what his name, he says, you, he will be called, we call him Jesus, that's fine, that's his other name, he has, God has many names, but he speaks to Mary, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. It means I'm going to fulfill what I was trying to do over here in Leviticus, I tried to do with Adam and Eve, and I know we've been talking about this for weeks now, but the Lord's trying to speak to us, trying to get into our hearts to get this, that God wants a deep relationship with us. We must not assume, because I've been going to church, we're a non-denominational church, we don't do the religious things, we cannot assume that we don't get into the trappings and routines and, and, and the, the cycles and circles of religion. It happens quickly and it happens without you even realizing it. We must realize that God is with us, and the way you know that maybe you've drifted is just the thing, the meditations in your mind, the meditations in your heart. Are they filled with fear? Are they filled with pride? Are they filled with hurts? Are they filled with, you know, uh, this person did this to me, and you're having arguments constantly going on in your mind, and you're warring and fighting, and I can't believe they said this, and I can't believe they did that, and these are things that are not meant to be in the temple of the Lord and within this place where Jesus is actually writing and doing a work inside of us. These are the testings to know it doesn't mean you're going to hell. I'm not talking about heaven and hell here, right? When we talk to mature believers, right, the, the scriptures say, let's move on from the sim simple gospel. You know, resurrection, you know, being raised from the dead, these basic principles, and let's move into the deeper things. And that's this life that you are called to be as a believer is not just, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? But Lord, am I pleasing to you? Lord, are you working inside me? Lord, am I speaking the things that you want me to speak? Am I really being a light? Am I truly being salt? Am I an example like you would want me to be in this workplace? In this relationship, am I the half that you need me to be? These are the things that we must see that Jesus paid a price for. And I looked at last week, it was just, it's so easy to say, by his blood, by his blood, by his blood. We just, we get used to it, that Jesus shed his blood becomes just like a saying. And we must think about the cross and think about the brokenness that he had to endure and even the mocking and so on to pay the price for us. The new covenant is that we are to focus on Jesus and he will supply all we need. I want you to hear that. I want to say that again. You focus on Jesus, and he will supply all we need. Now, we immediately think financial, but that's not what Jesus is trying to give us. He actually is giving us human needs, yes, physical, earthly needs, food and clothing, but he also is there for every mental need. Sometimes we just think he's going to give us all our needs, but he doesn't deal with mine. Sorry, the doctors are going to have to help with that. That's fine. Go to the doctors. But he wants to help with the mental needs. I don't have the strength. He wants to help with the strength needs. He gives you uh, everything that you need to go through the life that he's put you in. And he gives you the authority and the power. He gives you, uh, I'll just say it this way. If, because well, I'm just moving, trying to move for time here. If he asks us to trust him to do something, then he will supply us with what we need to do it. This is what's incredible. You ready? You are just a pathway 
God cares about every little detail, and yet, think of your body as literally a glass. It's just, right, earthen vessels. We are just clay. I mean, at the end of the day, from dust to dust, think of how simple your human existence is and how basic, and yet God cares about every detail. We must think like this to realize that I don't have the ability, the capabilities, the capacities, the mental, physical, spiritual, etc., power to do anything. And it's Christ who will do it in me. And if he's asking me to trust him, then not only do I have to, that's not negotiable. Come on, we need to just, let's just be real. I'm having struggle, I'm just struggling to trust him. That's fine. You love the person, pat them on the back, give them grace and mercy, and then you go and pray and plead before the Lord. That's, it's not like, okay, well, that's fine. You don't have to trust him. I'm struggling, but keep trusting him. You know, Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep going, right? If you're dealing with it, that's the worst place to, to give up. I'm not saying you have the ability, so wait, wait, wait. Jesus is there with you and won't let you stay there, but you have to trust that he's going to do it. Now, does that mean that you're going to trust your way to heaven? I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I'm just saying that we need to apply some faith sometimes. I'm going to get into this next week. I could spend another hour with you. I'm excited to preach next week, actually. We're going to talk about some things that when the Lord was asking his disciples constantly, where's your faith? He's not asking them to do some sort of superhuman thing, superpower thing. All he was saying is, why aren't you trusting me yet? I'm right here with you. I haven't left you. And then when he left them physically, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you're not alone. See, we, the devil wants to make you feel isolated. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again because maybe you hear it in your mind. Nobody understands. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody can relate. Even in this church, you know, we're all, have, we're a smaller church, so you don't have like, you know, like, well, three people are like me out of the thousands. You feel, you can even feel alone, and it's like, well, my issue's my issue. It's not your issue. First of all, the Lord has put people around you that don't need to actually go through what you're going through to understand because they have the Holy Spirit. They have Christ. But Christ himself is with you. You have a group of people, and you have the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit. You have his word. God has given us everything we need to walk this life out. And I'll just close with this. He said in Matthew chapter 6, we'll get into some deeper things here, but in Matthew chapter 6, I, one of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible, right? Who loves Matthew 5 through 7, right? Just amazing. But Matthew 6, he tells us, don't store up your treasures here on earth. He says, your moth, the moths and rust, and they're going to destroy them. Store your treasures in heaven. And he says, because your treasure, this is how you know your heart, where is your treasure? He actually tells us a way to do a heart check before heaven. Before you get there, do some heart check on the earth. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And you can apply that not just like treasures like, oh man, I want a Bugatti. My eyes are off of the Lord. 
but your heart can just be thinking about like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how this is going to happen. And am I ever going to get healed? And is this person ever going to get saved? And what we're actually doing is dwelling in these negative places instead of saying, Lord, these things are real. They're in me. I'm not trying to be some sort of denialist or something, but Lord, I'm going to keep focusing on you and trusting in you. There's something more powerful in you than is in that, that I can even understand. And greater is he that's in me, that's in the world. And, Verse 25, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink or enough clothes to wear, and he goes on and he says, isn't your body more than clothing? And he says to look at the birds, look at the lilies. And then he says, why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things, verse 31, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? He's just talking about the cares of life. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. I bet you if Jesus had some more time, he would actually give you a much larger list. It is not just what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. He's talking about is the cares of this life, just all of the stuff, right? It's gotten more and more advanced. There's a lot more to think about, right? When Jesus was here, there wasn't soccer on Sunday mornings. Right? There's just a lot more we have to think about. So Jesus would expanded this list and say, all of the stuff that fills your brain all the time, these things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And just simply this verse to close, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I've heard that verse preached so many times, focusing on the need. But I'm preaching it focusing on the one who gives the needs. This whole sermon is not about the need. It is about him. You push the need aside. You focus on him. And suddenly, I've told you this before, and you've lived it. Sometimes those needs aren't needs anymore. And I've even seen needs that were needs come to pass and forget and two years later go, wow, I prayed about those needs, quote-unquote, right? Because now you've already done it. You've already fulfilled it. I forgot you even did it. It must not have been that big a deal. And yet it dominated my thoughts for a season. Amen. We're going to put our eyes back on him where it needs to be. We're going to put our focus on him. We are a manna-eating people, right? <laughs> We are living day to day with him. We are not religious. We're not stuck in a system. We are not stuck in a cycle. Jesus is not some far away off God. We don't just attend a church. We are his people and he is our God. Amen. Bless you. Lord, we just thank you and praise you. And I thank you for this word. I thank you that it's so powerful, Lord. There's life within these pages and it is still ministering to us today, Lord, 2,000 years later and even beyond. Lord, I thank you and just give you, I just give you praise and glory and honor, Lord, for all that you are. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are going to keep ministering throughout this day, Lord. Many here, Lord, I thank you, these seeds that are, there's, it's greater than the words out of my mouth, Lord, but there is a word that you're putting in hearts and encouraging and growing and shaping and molding, Lord, you're going to do in Jesus' name even today. Amen. Bless you.